You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the latest episode of the IoT Leaders podcast with me, your host, Nick Earl, the CEO of SI. And I think for our listeners and did our viewers, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I mean, it's not only just a great example of how IoT can add value on a human level and to society. It's it's a good technology story, but perhaps it's also a great story about how an entrepreneur can start a company and hustle and actually uh, build something to fill a gap in the marketplace. So with that big setup, I'm delighted to uh, introduce uh, Alex Nash, who's the CEO of an IoT company in the UK called Alcuris. And so, Alex, uh, welcome to the IoT Leaders podcast. Thank you very much, Nick. It's great to be here. Great. And one of the things that we are trying to do with this podcast series is, uh, as we say, demystify IoT. And actually, uh, you know, a lot of people find it very difficult. It's not easy. And a lot of people uh, hit problems in deploying it. And so we really like to uh, show them examples and, and hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, of people who have sort of made it through and are now building either new offerings or in your case, a brand new business. In this case, it's in the healthcare space. So let's let's dive in. And Alcuris, for anyone um, listening to this, is A-L-C-U-R-I-S. So you could take a look at the website as you listen. And, and actually, you'll find a picture of Alex's granddad, I believe, on the website. So, and it all started off with your granddad, didn't it? So, so what, what's the story? Absolutely. So it was really sort of early 2015. I was about to go into my final year of university and had to come up with a final year project. Um, I was studying engineering at Loughborough, always wanted uh, to set up my own company, always been interested in that. And I was really trying to find the inspiration for what area uh, to go into. And around that uh, time, my grandfather was diagnosed with dementia. And suddenly, you know, I was thrown into a world that I had no knowledge of with carers, with sort of technology that could maybe support him. And I remember uh, going to, to see my granddad and the council there and there was a patient therapist and said, oh, we can provide this panic button. It's OK, well, what, what does it do? And they said, well, it's a red panic button. And if he presses it, it will make a two way phone call to a monitoring centre. I said, OK, and um, what if he doesn't wear it? Oh, well, he just needs to remember to wear it. Uh, but he's got dementia. Right. Well, just you know, yeah. j- just encourage it. Um, I was thinking this this is odd. I said, and you know, what about if he forgets to press it when he needs it? Well, you just need to remind him that he's you know that he's got this. And she said, you know, and you can be reassured that if anything happens, he you know he'll press it and you'll and you'll know. And, and I'm assuming, Alex, that he, uh, you weren't were the family living with him at the time. No, my, my grandma um, was living with him at the at the time, but she also wanted to go out and go, you know, go shopping and, and everything else. Um, she was also partially sighted as well. So she had some some challenges and the sort of solutions that, that were given just didn't really fit. And I thought, you know, if I can if I can go home and this was around sort of time that 
other sort of IoT paid monitoring platforms were really gaining traction. I thought, if I can you know, be on the other side of the world and control my heating, why can't I know whether my grand's okay? Why, why do I have to wait for him to press a panic button? And, and it was really very odd. And then uh, sadly, my, my grandma passed away and he needed to have some domiciliary care. And then it was a case of, well, you know, the carers could turn up. Okay, do we know that they've turned up? Uh, well, uh, not necessarily. Do you know how long they've stayed for? Well, they'll fill out a book and you can look at the book uh, to see how long they, they stay. And I was thinking, again, this should all be brought together. Uh, why does yeah. it have to be so, so siloed? Uh, he also had type 2 diabetes. So he was, you know, taking his blood and writing the notes down. And, and those notes were based on what insulin he then had to be given. I was thinking for somebody with dementia that can get confused that can you know struggle to to write for us to be basing his medication and what he's written down seems uh, somewhat somewhat well, worrying I, I have to jump in and say that this is kind of spooky because and i'm sure many people listening to this will say that was me as well but i have to tell you and i hadn't shared with this previously when we, when we first had our sort of little prep chat so, so my mum, no longer sadly with us, but but my mum was in exactly the same situation. But she was living on her, her on her own in a house in Liverpool. We're down south near the sort of Windsor, West London area, and um, she had dementia, which was turning into Alzheimer's because, of course, it's a journey. She got one of these lanyards with a button, which she never wore. She always forgot. And the reason we got her it was because she was found one day, you know, uh, lying on the landing because she'd fallen over, got out of bed and fallen over in the night and stayed the night on the landing. But she also was diabetic. So she injected herself. And we were always thinking, oh, my God, she could forget. She could inject herself three times in a day. And the carers would come in. But we had no idea we were 200 miles away. I mean, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this can say, yeah, exactly. And and, it, and nothing's joined up, is it? It's all sort of separate. It's, it's completely fragmented. And, and as you said, you know, the amount of times when I, I tell my story and then everybody goes, actually, I've, I've got exactly the same story. You know, a few details are different, but broadly speaking, yeah. it's the same story. And I think it's something that affects so many people it's such a real real challenge and that's you know what really led me uh, to developing the the solution that we we have today so that was what that was the spark you thought there's got to be a better way yep. it's a difficult problem because clearly no one has solved it yet i mean you've got councils and care in the community which isn't the most high-tech area you've got lots of different suppliers lots of different equipment you've got non-sophisticated uses <laughs> dementia and and then you've got the fact that you were a student recently graduated student from Loughborough University in yeah. North England with an engineering degree who's always wanted to become an entrepreneur start your own company so but now you've got the genesis of the idea what happened next? Yeah, so I, I graduated in 2016. At the end of 2015, I'd registered the name Al Curious and set up the company, which was the, uh, the easy bit. I then had to sort of go about and, and convince some people to try to give me some money so I could go ahead and, and employ some people. And uh, at that time, I'd actually been introduced to, to somebody who is now our CTO. Every week, we used to meet at the pub. And every week I used to ask, uh, have you got the money now so I can quit my job and, and start doing this? So the first thing I did was apply for an Innovate UK grant. We were fortunate enough to be successful with that grant. But what I needed was the match funding. And I remember the, the piece of paper came through and it said that you have to, I think, had to raise £80,000 of match funding. And I had a period to do it within. And I had no idea you know, where to start. 
So I started, you know, emailing, meeting, speaking to anybody and everybody uh, that I could, probably irritating quite a few people on, on the way. Um, and there was an event called uh, the British Business Show. Uh, so I thought I might, might as well go there and, and check that out. And at this event, um, there was a number of keynote speakers. And there was one speaker who uh, had the sort of, I think, one of the last slots. And I'd missed probably 90% of, uh, of the talk. But just towards the end, this guy uh, steps off the stage and he's immediately swamped by, by loads of people trying to get his uh, contact details and an email address. Um, and I'm sort of on the periphery with all these people and I overhear him giving his email address to somebody. So I uh, wrote his email address down. Um, no, not, not on the back of your hand or something like that. Was I it? think it pretty much was. Yeah, I think it was like <laughs> in the back of my hand and sort of trying to type it away. I just pictured yeah. of you getting a pen out quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this could be very useful. And who so, was this guy? Just in context of the story. So this yeah, guy. Yeah, well, well, I'd emailed uh, this guy my, my business plan on the Friday, and over the weekend I sort of did a bit of, of reading, and uh, he didn't he even was, know who he was. Um, no, no, I'd heard of the company. So the company was uh, Pure Gym, but I, I didn't know very much. Fit, yeah. a, a big UK fitness chain. Yeah. 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 And, you know, because I probably should go to the gym more than I, I do, I sort of knew the brand, but didn't know a huge amount uh, about it. So I uh, looked him up and I realized that uh, this guy, Peter Roberts, uh, was a serial entrepreneur. He'd actually sold Pure Gym a few weeks prior to this event for 600 million. Well, yeah, so he had, you know, he had the, the number one thing that I always look for in a good investor, which is which is cash. Uh, but he'd clearly been hugely successful with his background. He'd set up business after business, largely in the leisure industry, and had been incredibly successful with most of those businesses. I emailed him on the Friday, found this out over the weekend, thinking it's quite unlikely I'm going to get any response uh, at all. And this is on the back of emailing, you know, loads of people, you know, probably hundreds of people over the last few months. But on the uh, Monday, I got an email back saying, very interesting, let's have a call, thinking it would be in a few months time. Uh, later that afternoon, I had a call with him. Uh, well, a week later, uh, I was having lunch. And a few hours after that, on the uh, on the way back on, on a train, uh, I got an email saying that he would like to invest. And that was the sort of you know tick for me okay. that we actually no, we've, got, we've got to hit the we've got to hit the pause, because let me tell you as the CEO of of a company that that is still private and we're doing fundraising, fundraising doesn't normally uh, happen like this. Let me tell <laughs> I've, you, I've learned that since. <laughs> oh boy, let me tell you, it takes about. I mean, we're talking bigger sums of money, but even so, in relative terms, this is the most important one you'll ever do. It takes six to nine months. I mean, and that's quick. So you met the guy, didn't listen to his speech, you were late, tried to get to him, were mobbed, overheard his email address, wrote it on the back of your hand, whacked him off an, an email, didn't expect a response, got a response on the Monday. He said, let's have a meeting. He then offered you a slot, I guess, the same day, which probably surprised you. Had lunch with him and then three, four hours later or whatever, he gives you money. It's yeah. easy. I mean, why do we employ professionals when it's this easy? I, I know. I know. I, uh, I was sort of lulled into a full sense of security as to how fundraising would uh, would work from, from then on. <laughs> but um, you got a mentor as well, though, didn't you? I mean, you didn't just get a guy with money. It, almost like a Dragon's Den or, uh, or Shark Tank in the US. You got a, yeah. you got a, a mentor out of it. Yeah, and, and that's been you know, in, 
incredibly valuable. So Peter um, didn't just invest any, he's invested in, in every round uh, and is also an advisor to the board, uh, attends the board meetings and has been a, a huge sort of supportive figure. Um, you know, he's somebody who's been there, done it. There's very, very few things that we can sort of throw up that he hasn't, hasn't seen before. And then he started bringing in his own uh, investor group as, as well. So our sort of second funding round, um, right, he right. sort of brought in some other other contacts that, that he had. And we've really sort of grown uh, from then. You know, I obviously then managed to go back to our CTO, telling them we raised the money that, that we needed. Where he joined you? He, yeah, he, he quit his last job, uh, joined us full time. And I remember our, our sort of first day together in, in this tiny office with a whiteboard. And we sort of said, right, how, how does the, uh, the solution look? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and started sort of mapping it out from, from there. And that was sort of, you know, really the, the start of being able to achieve what we wanted to, which was really based around three, three things. So we distilled everything we wanted the company to achieve into three things. Uh, one was uh, independence for older and vulnerable individuals. The second was reassurance for their friends, families and carers. And the third was insight for local authorities and care providers. And that really defines what, what we try to do. So, that, so, that, so that, that's interesting. So, so what you're saying is, so first of all, there's the patient or the ultimate customer by the elderly person, but there's also two other segments in your business plan. There's the relatives who want to know what's going on yep. and, and they're not getting the information. And then you've got the, the councils who have the duty of care to provide care in the community. And so now you have to put a sort of a business plan together that encompasses all three. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And for us, you know, I'd looked into the market and saw that there was a number of companies that were really struggling or had failed. And I tried to try to group the different companies. And, and broadly speaking, there was two groups of company, one that was successful and one that was largely unsuccessful in gaining traction. The successful group all had something in common and they offered what's called a social alarm. And this is the, you know, the very red panic button that my granddad was offered previously that when you press this panic button, a two-way phone call goes through to a monitoring center. You can connect maybe a smoke alarm uh, to the system as well. It's got battery backup, so it doesn't rely on, on internet. And there's quite a bit of resili resilience there with the, with the product. But, and they sold these to, to pretty much every local authority. In the UK, there's around 1.8 million of these products. Across Europe, there's around 5.3 million. Right. The other group were these companies that were trying to do what's called activities of daily living. They didn't have a social alarm, but what they offered was sensors based around a property that would show you dots on a, on a screen, yeah. you know, whether mum was in the, the kitchen or not. And, I thought, and they were separate, they were really separate solutions. Two, two completely separate solutions, the second of which was far more expensive than the, than the social alarm. It provided a lot more value, but more expensive. So my, my view was, well, why don't we bring both of these together within a, a single product, a social alarm that had a 4G connection, so didn't have to rely on Wi-Fi, the battery backup. And actually, if we've got you know, the sensor technology, why don't we also put in Bluetooth so we can connect to health devices as well? Why don't we also put RFID in so we can log carers in and out as well? Right. So with one product, we can do everything. And obviously, we then need to send this data to, the, uh, to some kind of platform. And actually, rather than just displaying what's happened, why don't we put a layer of insight on top of this? Why don't we learn an individual's normal routines and normal behavior, spot changes, and yep. let local authorities know? And, and this was sort of the, the plan. And the real catalyst was that I then very quickly was made aware 
of a massive event that was happening in our industry, which was the analog to digital transformation. So I was then told, actually, Alex, of these 1.8 million devices, 90% or so are analog. So they will need to be replaced by 2025 because the protocols that they use don't work very well on a digital network. So I thought, oh, hold on. So so the first time in maybe 20, 25 years, local authorities are having to upgrade. Compelling events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that tied in really nicely with what we were doing because actually in a digital world, why wait for somebody to press their panic button? Why offer a reactive model of care, which is, you know, wait for the panic button to press, then do something about it. One, actually learn the, from the data, look at what the insight's telling you to start to move away from a purely reactive based care approach to one that is proactive and therefore preventative. If somebody's taking longer and longer to go up and down the stairs, if somebody's bathroom visits have suddenly increased, don't wait for you know a urinary tract infection and, and for it to get worse and worse and then a hospital visit. Make a, a proactive phone call, make a wellbeing check. And that's exactly what we are now providing to local authorities and obviously bringing their families in as well. So their families don't have to wait from a call from a monitoring centre. They could you know, check the app, see that mum's made a cup of tea that morning or, or dad's um, got out of bed and you know, et cetera. Uh, they can see this just by a, a quick glance. So, and I believe the uh, it's a subscription model. And so if I'm uh, that middle group and I wanted to, uh, if, I, if my mum had had this, and I wish she had, but she didn't. But if she had this and if I'm local, I guess I can go around there. But if I'm far away, I can't rush around there. And there's a, I understand there's a two-tier subscription model for the uh, family and friends to get a certain level of information. So that's a form of revenue as well, which is a subscription model through the app, right? Absolutely. So we, you know, we have uh, different models depending on, on the customer. So we always have a reoccurring revenue model for local authorities, and that really pays for the, the platform. And then we can also have uh, family members as well accessing the platform via an app. And, and obviously permission roles can all be defined depending on who you are. An installer will obviously have very different permission levels to a, a family member who would have different permission levels to a occupational therapist. One of the really interesting things to actually note was, you know, when we started out, we, we had to develop our own hardware because frankly, nobody else had the hardware that right. give all the, the data. One of the really interesting things that started to emerge is the companies that would be our competitors are starting to update uh, their own analog infrastructure. So we're now in talks with some of these large uh, companies to integrate their hardware into our platform. So actually, as a, as a local authority, it doesn't really matter what piece of hardware you have, because at a platform level, we can offer all the insight and the analytics depending on what's sent right. through. So you've actually started off with hardware and, and you're becoming a platform company, but we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves. So let's go back to the early stage of the story. So you've got your business plan, you've got your three-day funding <laughs> process, you've got your money, and now you need to develop a piece of hardware which didn't exist. Now, hardware is called hardware for a reason, right? It's hard, right? Yeah, so now you've got to develop a piece, of, even though you've got an engineering degree, hardware's hard. So have you got, and it's a home hub, have you got one? Can you? Yeah, uh... Absolutely. So this is is our hub that we call a memo. So we've got this sort of loudspeaker underneath the, the microphones uh, on top, uh, and then the touch screen as well. Okay. So we've got the, uh, what it looks like. So so one of the reasons, obviously, that we're talking is that is that you'll use you use uh, my company, SI, for connectivity, but we've also helped you 
uh, on the hardware side as well, haven't we? So, so what's the story? How, how did how did the two companies get working together? Sure. So actually, you know, at the very beginning, we knew that connectivity would be really important. We couldn't rely on on Wi-Fi. It's a, it's a nice option, but we couldn't rely on it. So we had to have a connectivity partner that could both do the data, the voice, and also the security. And we get the sort of different options. Uh, our CTO then said, actually, I, I went to school with somebody that I think is involved in this now. Why don't we just have a, have a phone call and, and, and see, what, see what comes of it? And that was Paul Marshall uh, and obviously oh, working. One of, our, one of our founders. You know, I, had to hit, I have to hit the pause button again. You, you're breaking every rules in the, in the book, Alex. What, what people are supposed to do, according to my marketing manager, they're supposed to go onto the web and they do their research and they find us and then they fill out forms and they download white papers and they do a, do a, a study of the, all the different players and then they select people and they go through an RFP process. And da, da, da. No, you've got somebody who said, I went to school with a bloke who I think is involved. Why don't we give him a call? <laughs> so once again, you collapse the process. There's a lesson yeah. here for people, which is why, why, why do things over three, four months, six months when you could actually do them in 10 minutes? Anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. maybe it's sort of my, uh, my inexperience or naive optimism, which, which I think can be an advantage. It's good for us. Hey, listen, yeah. this one, good for us. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So um, you call you call this guy's friend Paul Marshall, one of our founders. Yep. Paul and Ian uh, founded our company. They're the guys who invented Zigbee and their device, radio, cellular geeks. <laughs> they won't mind me saying that. So the phone call comes in, and when was this in the timeline? Where are we now? We are we're now in probably early 2017, early to mid 2017. So you got this idea. You need to create something which doesn't exist. You need to get it designed. You need to have voice, which is the digital side, because we're moving into the uh, digital upgrade of the BT's networks across the UK. And you also need it to be able to connect with other devices that are coming into the home, like glucose measurement devices, I guess. So so you put something on the end of your finger and it measures stuff. So you've got a hardware design issue. And uh, and so, so then... Paul got engaged. Yeah, Paul got engaged. We started speaking to him and, and obviously one of the technologies we also use is Zigbee. So he had a, a bit of knowledge on that as, as well. Just a bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, and we started to you know, describe what we wanted uh, and really from you know, from the outset, you know, he described what SI could, could offer. So we started to work together, work together to help have some input into how our uh, hardware looked uh, and worked, what the requirements were around sort of security. So you know, one of the really interesting pieces was that initially we didn't think that the SIM would be very much involved in the security. You know, that yeah. was around whatever encryption we, we yeah. put over later. Uh, but then Paul said, well, actually, we do have AWS certificate that we can push down to the SIMs. You can read them off the SIMs and then connect to, to your platform by that. And it, it's a great way because actually... If, if anybody you know hacks into the hub somehow, you can see it, revoke the, the certificates or rotate them. Yes, basically uh, quarantine, the, quarantine the device, check out what, what's working, reissue a new security certificate and let it back in yeah. again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and it was that that actually made a lot of sense for us, considering that our, our platform uses AWS. That, that's an important point, isn't it? Because, you know, the hyperscale cloud providers... I did a podcast recently with uh, the guy who runs BizDev for uh, AWS in EMEA. But the hyperscale cloud providers are actually uh, providing a whole set of tools, not just applications, but tools to manage uh, security, manage devices, which just make it a lot easier for a small company like 
you uh, because you don't want to build up a huge IT department and and, and whatever. So your data goes into uh, AWS IoT and you use the security features uh, of that, which, by the way, for our listeners, quick advertorial, we helped develop Device Defender with uh, AWS. We did the launch of it with them in Chicago, I think around the same time, 2017, actually, we did the, the launch of uh, Device Defender with AWS IoT. So the SIM certificate gets, uh, AWS is an IoT security issuing authority, which means they you can get your certificates from AWS. It comes back over our network into our SIM. And so we do, as you say, the SIM isn't just about connectivity, it's about security management as well, which was important for you, especially considering the types of data that you're uh, collecting. There's a lot of regulations around that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things that we have with the hub is the hub doesn't actually store any data. Yeah. So as soon as uh, we get the data, we ping it on, we have a very small sort of buffer, you know, wouldn't survive uh, a power reset. um, So that actually, anything that's stored on the hub, as soon as you, you know, were to unplug it, turn it off, any sort of personal data that's been stored then then goes, and there's no personal data stored uh, on the hub either. Um, So we needed something that was really reliable that could send this data up to our our cloud to then uh, analyze it, to interpret what's going on, and then push it into the various places that it needed, needed to go. So I want to get back to the point in a minute about your transition, because you're actually transitioning to a platform company, which is very, very common, but we'll come to that in a minute. But before we come to that, let's keep uh, filling out the pieces of the jigsaw. So now you've got some hardware, chosen the cloud platform, you've got the security. Now all you need to do is convince some customers. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Otherwise, so, how, so what happened there and where are you now? Sure. So yeah, we sort of had the hardware, we had the, the, the software. We pretty quickly started to develop a, a business development team largely from within our industry who, who knew the customers. Uh, and actually, it was really, really positive because we would go to, uh, initially, uh, our first customer group actually was some, uh, what we called friends and family. And really, it was around, you know, before we go to the local authorities, let's really understand what family members want. Yeah. Um, let's really understand, actually, what does somebody want from our kind of system? So we put probably maybe 100 devices out there with, with various people. And you know, one of the sort of interesting bits that came back is within our system, you have an ability to create a rule. So you can say, let me know if the yeah. kettle goes on at a certain time. Or doesn't go on at a certain or, time. Or doesn't, absolutely. Because we normally make a cup of tea before 7.30 in the morning and it's half past eight or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um, and one of the things we, we learned, which was really interesting, which we hadn't factored in at the beginning, was what we now do. So now when you create a rule at the bottom, we then say, does this, uh, if this event happens, does it reassure you or does it worry you? So actually, if a door opens in the middle of the night, it probably worries you. If mum makes a cup of tea in the morning, it reassures you. And because of this difference, we actually change how often we will let you know. So if you tell something that worries up, you know, that worries you. So if your door opens at midnight, if it opens three times, we will let you know every time it happens, and you can choose to escalate it to a email, push notification, text. If something reassures you, then it will just be displayed as a push notification and displayed yeah. in the app. But it will only let you know the first time it happens. So if you say if mum makes a cup of tea between seven in the morning and ten, if mum makes a cup of tea at ten past seven, we'll let you know but we won't let you know every single time it happens up to 10 o'clock because actually people get quite irritated that, well, I know mum's made a cup of tea. I'm, I'm not interested that she's made now a second and a third. So although it might be displayed in the timeline, 
we won't keep telling you about it. But what you might want to know is actually by 11 o'clock, maybe it's happened five or six times. And that's a bit odd because that, that's a lot more times than it would normally happen. And so, that's so, uh, excuse me, so what you're, because, uh, you know, we've got 2000 customers and and we get to see a lot of trends. And, and, and what you're talking about here is mass personalization or long tail, long tail personalization, but you're personalizing it for the relatives. Which yes. is very clever. Other companies that do this, we we uh, we have a few projects within Amazon, and uh, not the Ring doorbell, but but the Ring doorbell. Uh, we have other projects, but the Ring doorbell is is starting to do that sort of thing. So you put the Ring doorbell on, and you can have motion. You know, I mean, the sun comes out. Our, our daughter's got a Ring doorbell on the house, and uh, she uh, I was with her uh, over the weekend, and the she got a notification. Uh, and it was basically the sun uh, moving uh, and the trees in, in, in the wind. And so it was so sensitive. She was kept on getting notifications. Yep. But but when someone comes and Amazon guy drops a parcel and puts it on her step, now her house is, you know, is on the road and, and someone can pinch the parcel. And then the next minute, the next door neighbor, Joan, arrives, who's great. And Joan comes and takes the parcel in for her. That's a notification she wants to know about. Or obviously someone pressing the doorbell to be speak. So the idea of personalizing notifications and allowing the user-defined rule set is a very smart thing and encourages loyalty and suggestions. I guess you're getting now suggestions on features when you look at the patterns of what's happening. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely do. Um, So actually, one thing we're working on now is a more formal process to give that feedback. So after we had the rules, the next thing was to develop smart alerts, which is where we learn changes in behavior we currently have a sensitivity setting but actually what we're now developing is the ability to give feedback so actually uh, yes this was useful or, or actually no i don't agree that something was odd here and we can start getting the feedback you know, one of the things we learn quite quickly is you know, data data doesn't tend to lie so we have a you know we can see that actually bathroom visits have increased or, or activity in the house has increased but the feedback might be well actually no i think that's you know I, I, there is no issue here it's fine and then we need to try to understand, well, why do we think it's fine? Oh, okay. Well, actually, activity has increased, but so has the amount of times the doors opened and closed. And actually, the kettle's been made a few times. So actually, there's probably some other people in this property. Oh, and, and two motion sensors were triggered at the same time. So there must be two people in the property. So it's, you know, they've got some friends around. So let's treat this bit of data slightly differently now because there's there's some friends around and they're not alone anymore. So it's how you, how you sort of manage that, what the messaging is back to the customer, is really really important so you started off with friends and family and now uh, but your target market is local authorities and, and how are you getting on with that uh, really well so we've been working with a, a number of local authorities to help develop the platform uh, over the last few years and in fact um, in the last few weeks we've just found out that we've won uh, a very large contract with a large local authority for several thousand of our units covering the adult social care, but also there's involvement with health as well. So we're really excited to probably be working on the first scale deployment of a proactive predictive approach to care. And by that, Alex, are you saying that um, it would start to, in this contract, start to uh, interface with other pieces of equipment that are in the home? I don't know, glucose uh, measuring or whatever. Is that the sort of thing that, that you're talking about? Absolutely. So so with this uh, council that we're working with, which I'll, uh, I'll be able to name uh, later down the line, we will be connecting health devices into the system. We will be uh, connecting other 
platforms as well. So within local authorities, many are now starting to use digital care management platforms. Yeah. So we'll be able to integrate uh, those care management platforms. So if, if somebody's using a different platform to log carers in and out and to log what tasks have been done, well, actually the family would love to know that information. So let's pull it out of that system and, and, and push it into ours. So it's all those sorts of integrations that we are starting to do as part of this deployment schedule with this authority. And, and, and again, one of the things, and one of the things our solution is, is giving you to do that is the whole suite of APIs that you can then bring, bring uh, things in, but also you can uh, actually take stuff out to so take it up, either up into the cloud or out into other platforms, other, other operators. And that, that brings us to that, that point that you mentioned earlier, which is sort of where you're going. And, and the idea of, you know, it's still very, very fragmented. And what you've done is really is wonderful, but but it's still only it's only a fraction of the possibilities in, in the care market, isn't it? Because because you have people uh, checking out of hospital and the ability to uh, we have a we have a customer Bioformis who are creating a, a what they call a healthcare wearable. Uh, they're just um, going through FCA approval, and the idea is that when you rather than stay in a hospital bed perhaps for five days. After an operation, you go home with this device and this device will do the monitoring and it will upload, but it will, and you wear the device. And actually you could then wear the device for six months, two years afterwards and go about your daily life. Uh, but it's got to interface with everything else. We have another customer, which is the world's second largest paper company, Essity in Sweden. And they are also the world's second largest uh, manufacturer of nappies or diapers, as the Americans call it. And they have a, 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 a you mentioned urinary tract uh, infections. They have a small sensor, a wafer sensor inside the, you know, 20 bits of paper that makes up a, a nappy. And the idea of um, a measure for care homes, it, it's the adult in, incontinence market. But you can predict the early onset of urinary tract by looking at the chemicals of the urine two days in advance of of somebody feeling the symptoms and as you say somebody with dementia might not even tell the carer they have the symptoms so they then have the symptoms fall out of bed go to hospital and often catch something in hospital that is actually worse than the urinary tract so so the whole area of healthcare is very very exciting with iot but it's still very very fragmented and so i think your vision what you were saying earlier is there's a need for a platform right and, and i think is that your next big well you got to win more councils Yes. But, then, but also at the same time, trying to establish sort of um, interoperability in the market. Absolutely. So actually, um, you know, when we started, there just was really no hardware that could do all the different things we wanted. Uh, now, a lot of the other providers in, in the market are starting to release new hardware that's digital. that's got the ability to not just connect with social alarms, but other types of sensors as well. So what we said is actually, you know, we, we've got a platform. And if you've got hardware, why don't you integrate it into our platform so that a local authority can pick what piece of hardware they want, but also recognize that whatever hardware exists today, you know, in five years time, there's going to be a whole bunch of new types of sensors, devices, hardware out there uh, that doesn't exist now. And if you only tie yourselves to what exists now, you're really limiting the capabilities, which is why a platform approach works really, really well. Because actually you can say, well, whatever comes along in five years time, we will work to integrate that into the platform as well. And as a local authority, certainly in the times we are now with component shortages, uh, it's incredibly hard to actually source maybe all of your hardware from the same company. 
sort of platform gives you the ability to source different bits of hardware from different companies. But at a platform level, it all feels exactly the same for the carers, for the family and, members. And it, does, it means the councils don't have to bet everything on one supplier. Absolutely. Um, uh, yep. Say, well, there's a whole range of suppliers. So open procurement, etc. It's kind of similar, actually, approach to what we're doing. We have a our connectivity management platform, which we use. We'll look at the devices that actually have our SIM in, but it will all, they'll also be able to look at, at, at devices that it is also able to report on devices and manage devices that have proprietary SIMs in it. And so this yep. is something that, that Gartner's others are calling, you know, the next move is platform of platforms. You really want one platform, whether it's in the home or in business, one platform, which everyone can connect to, not proprietary platforms. So it's very yep. much inconsistent with the movement that's out there. Alexis, this is a great story. We've been going 45 minutes, I think, or so. And something tells me that this is uh, maybe maybe in a year's time, this will be the, the first podcast where we have a repeat guest on. Because uh, <laughs> the speed at which you're going and the speed at which you do stuff seems to be about 10x <laughs> uh, quicker. You do have a knack for uh, bypassing and, and doing shortcuts. And uh, I think that's great. I think that's very entrepreneurial. If I'm doing my maths right, if you graduated in 2015, I think you're still under 30. Would that be? Uh... Yes, yep, I'm, I'm 27. So, uh... oh my God, you yeah. make me sick. Well, I mean, congratulations. Very entrepreneurial, built a, a, a very nice company, obviously with very good technology, but. And, and with great partners as well. Well, we're great. Thank you. With great partners. But, but also, what I was trying to get to is that, but solving a real world problem. I mean, everyone can identify with this and and you know it, it it brings technology to life and is it what what do you do well i solve this problem and people go oh i get that i understand the problem that you're solving and it's a problem that needs to be solved so it is a great story one last question if people have been inspired by this which i'm sure they have and they want to get in touch with you how, how can they how can they reach out to you absolutely so i'm uh, easy to find on on linkedin to just search for alex nash or uh, please send me an email uh, which is alex.n at alcurious.co.uk and be more than happy to, uh, to have a conversation. Okay, so Alex is the CEO and founder, entrepreneur and a man in a hurry, a young man in a hurry of uh, Alcuris, A-L-C-U-R-I-S. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about you uh, going forward. Talking about hearing uh, a lot more, this is, as we say, one of our episodes on the IoT Leaders podcast. Um, we're going to be looking for more uh, people like Alex in the future that we're going to be interviewing and maybe we'll get Alex back, as I said, in a year's time. Please uh, listen to uh, future episodes. If you need to reach out to me, I'm Nick Earl, so CEO of SI, that's E-A-R-L-E. And if you want to send me an email, it's iotleaders at si.com. But with that, we'll leave it there. And uh, thanks again for a great story. I love the human elements to it. I think it brings it to life uh, for uh, everybody. It's those, uh, those stories that really do make technology, companies in particular, uh, come to life. And the scribbling, the, uh, the guy who suddenly got £600 million of money, finding him, writing his email down, and by Monday you had a deal. That's a <laughs> story. <laughs> it does not happen. So well done for that. And good luck with your business. And uh, thanks again for the partnership. Thank you much. Really appreciate it. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. 
You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.